What you're experiencing on screen is deeply a mystery in a lot of different ways, actually. The folks even that are sort of the stalwart narrator or the adventurer or investigator are probably having their own battle of confidence within their soul at that very moment anyway. Most of our listeners will remember Jim Perry as our official paranormal correspondent, as well as the host of the podcast, Euphemet, a documentary series that explores the unknown and our relationship to it through talking with those who believe they've experienced the supernatural. Joining us is the host of the podcast, Stories with Sapphire, Sapphire Sandalo, a queer Filipino-American occultist whose mission is to add more empathy and diversity to supernatural communities through stories and interviews from around the world. You may have seen her on the Max show Ghost Town Terror, investigating a haunting, or as an expert on the Travel Channel's Paranormal Caught on Camera and Paranormal Night Shift. Today we'll be talking about what it's like to work on very different kinds of projects in the supernatural sphere and get a behind the scenes look at how they're made. You know, those classic reality TV shows where experiencers tell their stories complete with reenactments and those dramatic shaky camera ghost hunts that seek to prove the existence of these unseen forces. Jim and Sapphire compare this kind of work done for big production companies to the work that they have more control over, where they seek, first and foremost, to create spaces of safety and empathy for those who believe they've experienced the unexplainable. We'll talk about the dream of diversifying away from the formulaic industry of ghost bros and Christian-influenced exorcistic endings to allow the paranormal to take different forms, understood in different ways by very different kinds of people. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American Hysteria. thrilled to invite two of my ghostly freaky buddies people I've worked with or known throughout my career podcasting and it's like so fun to have both of you Sapphire and Jim in one place together thank you for being here oh my gosh thanks for having us yeah this is great I wouldn't miss it for anything. Wow. I mean, you could pay me so much money and be like, no, I gotta, I'm going to do this conversation. You're a loyal friend. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I have for a long time wanted to find some way to talk about one of my great loves, which is the paranormal television show or kind of the paranormal <laughs> entertainment industry at large because I grew up watching these of course I still really enjoy a good paranormal reenactment uh, as bad <laughs> as they often are I find a lot of joy in that particular part so I just wanted to talk to you both as people who've been in the paranormal industry in ghost shows, behind the scenes. I'm calling them ghost shows, which is probably the wrong term, but we'll get into that. No, that's accurate. Okay, yeah, that's all right. Good. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you, you both have a lot of experience in this realm. So just to get us going, I would love to hear about both of your experiences growing up with this type of show or radio or whatever you'd like, you know, whatever really got you into the mindset of the paranormal. 
This is such a cool question because it allows me to completely geek out on the foundational elements, I think, of my entire experience with the paranormal. I was a sleepless kid. Oh. <laughs> what I, yeah, like I was just too wired, I, I think, undiagnosed <laughs> ADD or something. And essentially, I was listening to a lot of just... FM and AM radio at the time as a kid because I just could not. It started with like Mariners games or something, I think. And then like 90s pop. There's just so many songs from that catalog, that era of music that's like burned into my head, like seal songs and stuff like that, that I'm, I just know all the words to. And I really like I shouldn't seemingly. but And then one curious uh, midnight flipping through like the stations, like turning the old school dial through the static, I discovered a voice from Pahrump, Nevada. And that voice was of Art Bell. Mm. And mm. I began listening to that show every single night it challenged my perspective on so many different things. It introduced me to so many ideas. Now, it was an adult and uh, an experience of sorts and also uh, an enthusiast of the researchers and stories and everything that was foundational of that program. I understand that not of all, all of it was uh, 100% accurate uh, <laughs> or legitimate. But, you know, I, I think that like sort of nighttime vibe, the staticky AM radio waves, his choice of music, the tone of his voice, the types of guests and experiences explored, it shaped me in a way like more than probably any other media form will ever shape me in my life. And that was my introduction into the space in a real way, you know, aside from sort of family experiences and, and a lineage of, of of kind of weird psychic phenomena and things of that nature. It was Art Bell that tied a lot of those things together for me and probably created me into a podcaster, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. What about you, Sapphire? What's like your, do you have kind of that particular thing that got you into the paranormal? Oh, my goodness. Uh, so my first exposure just to the paranormal and ghosts in general was through my family, the stories that they told me. It seemed like every week someone in my family had something new happen to them and it was just very normal. <laughs> like one, I just remember like my my cousins, they lived in this like really, really haunted apartment that I like hated being in. And it felt like every other week they'd be like, oh yeah, like this thing happened. And so just hearing it straight from the source, from people mm -hmm. that I knew and trusted, you know, that made me believe in it even more as a child. And then growing up, I started hearing stories from other people and realized, oh, so this expands beyond my family. This is universal. There's other people who experience similar things. And we loved watching shows like, oh, God, I'm going to forget the name. Was it called Factor Fiction? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction. Beyond Belief. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. OK. Yeah. Uh, that my was... partner and I did an entire rewatch of Beyond Belief. So <laughs> yes. It's like in my bones right now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was like a number one show for like me and my family. Uh, we were obsessed, especially with like all the paranormal stories. There's ones that like are still just like ingrained in my brain. Like, did you watch the episode where they find a ring? because it, like a candle melts on top of a stove. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. I think I do. I think I do. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So shows like that. Um, what's the other one? Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever seen there's an anime called Pet Shop of Horrors. 
Do you know what that is? No, never heard of it. I don't know either. Oh, my goodness. It's only like a couple episodes. It's kind of hard to find because it's not streaming anywhere. But that definitely shaped my story sensibilities. Basically, it's about this guy who owns a pet shop downtown and people come to him to like get... Oh, God, I can't, I can't even like describe it. But like there's like a moral to each thing. And it's really scary. Anyways, um, but that also shaped my love for ghost stories and paranormal storytelling. Yeah, I think your kind of origin story is pretty similar to mine. And I have talked on both of your shows at different points and on my own show about, <laughs> you know, I had so many weird paranormal experiences growing up. So did my family. It was very normal. For us to bring our weird stories to each other and to also enjoy a lot of paranormal television, um, especially beyond belief factor fiction. That was certainly my favorite and <laughs> unsolved mysteries. I love all of yes. it. And so I'm curious because for me, when we're talking about paranormal shows, there's this split between kind of the two types. There's the ones where people are telling their stories and they're being reenacted. And then there's the one where people are going out and actually mm. hunting for paranormal mm -hmm. stories. And I think both of your shows kind of toe the line. Both of your podcasts as well kind of toe the line between those two types. Like you're, you're seeking those types of answers, but you're also allowing people to tell their stories. So I'm interested in like, what your relationships are to those two different types of shows and whether you like one more than the other, whether you have more fun with one over the other. Mm. Well, I think what's interesting is that when these stories are transported into certain mediums, there is like sort of a demand for resolution to be found mm -hmm. <laughs> or for things to be, you know, sort of tied into a little tight bow for you. But as it happens with the phenomenon, seemingly it does everything it can to just keep the mystery going. Even when you think you've discovered something, what you've discovered mm -hmm. is a hundred more questions instead of there being oh, yeah. real definitive answers. And so like in terms of format, I think for me, either types of those shows that you mentioned or those formats, I think like just approaching it from an authentic space of curiosity and not placing too much judgment on things. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, like there are things that are uh, firmly placed in objective reality that all of us can agree upon. And I think that's a good starting space. And that also provides a little levity to these stories so we don't get too far removed and that there's a relatability to these things. And honestly, I've found that as long as I keep it human centric, I'm able to find that really easily because mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. we're just a bunch of apes that don't know what's going on <laughs> <laughs> and have feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so I have actually been on both types of those shows. Yeah. One is Paranormal Night Shift. So that one is people telling their stories. There's a reenactment and then they intercut it with a like an expert to talk about mm -hmm. what's going on in the story. And then the other one is I, I have gone out investigating in Montana um, for the Ghost Town Terror. Two very completely different experiences. Yeah, I bet. But Paranormal Night Shift, there's a lot less, I guess, pressure with that because it's somebody telling a story that's already happened. And so you can sort of just look back on it and analyze like from what we know, but also knowing that you'll never really figure out 
what's going on because we can't return to the scene and recreate what happened. So (laughs) in a way, it's like a little less satisfying, but not like a lot of pressure. Whereas with Ghost Town Terror, everything is happening in real time and there's things going on behind the scenes as well as on camera Mm. that's like adding to the stress. But obviously you only see what makes it into the hour long cut. So yeah, I mean, if I had to choose, I I prefer just sitting in a studio talking about something that already (laughs) happened. (laughs) It's a lot less pressure. (laughs) Well, yeah, and you're not, you don't have to prove anything, right? Mm -hmm. Or not that you would necessarily be able to prove something, but in Ghost Town Terror, you are embedded with a family in what is a very cool location. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I like saw the the shots of the town that you were in, I was like, what a dream. (laughs) But it also seems very scary. So, and then of course, I have also seen you, as I mentioned before we started recording, like when my partner and I are in hotels and we're flipping through the channel, sometimes it'll be, oh, there's Sapphire talking about <laughs> the paranormal. And it's all it's like so exciting. And uh, um, yeah, I'm curious just to follow up on that. Like, how is it for you? Because I know as for both of you that you very much entertain the paranormal and hold certain beliefs, but you're also very grounded in those beliefs and are interested in both sides, like the skeptical side and the the believing side, the side that, you know, there is more than we can see. And I, I think I fall into that with both of you. And I'm mm-hmm. curious, Sapphire, first, like, What is it like for you to bring that kind of like to bring your own personality to a show like that where you're also asked to very much believe in what you're talking about? What a great question. Thank you. Um, So it's honestly kind of frustrating (laughs) um, because TV needs everything to be very visible and big and obvious. Right. Like as a viewer, you want things to be very spelled out and like they want to see what you're talking about. They don't want to hear you, you know, talk about something that you like felt or like heard if it wasn't caught on camera, which makes things very frustrating because a lot of the way that I I feel like energy and see things, it's like all in my with my body, within mm-hmm. my head. And it just doesn't <laughs> make good TV. But yeah, so as much as I try to bring logic and rationale and question things sometimes you'll be seen as like not playing along or being a good team player so when you're on a show like that the the number one thing you're concerned with is being entertaining and sometimes questioning everything is not entertaining so (laughs) (laughs) and not not the vibe let's say yes yes exactly you're right it's not the vibe they're going for so totally (laughs) what about you Jim because I know you haven't been necessarily a correspondent in a tv show but you have done a lot of radio stuff and, and I'm wondering if you felt that same kind of maybe pressure to present a certain type of belief or to buy into something fully where maybe you you don't actually feel that way completely. I think there's always a pressure that is there. I think it exists for a lot of creators in general, no matter what medium you're a part of. I think that you're dealing with whatever your experiences put in contrast sometimes to what the beliefs or the agenda is of other groups. 
And sometimes those other groups are like sort of the entertainment industrial complex. Sometimes they're like sort of cult-like behavior from figureheads within the space. I'm talking about paranormal in general uh, with that. And there's a lot of things that we're requested to buy into or believe right and yeah. and and if you're not believing in that or if you're pushing back on that or if you're just posing questions sometimes it can lead to like a little bit of ostracization from mm-hmm. certain communities maybe and so i i think that's probably how i have faced that or when those things have become clear to me it's been because i've been in opposition to surrendering curiosity and that can occur at a lot of different levels. Like, you know, TV stuff is really interesting because it is very hard to get a show on the air <laughs> that mm-hmm. maybe fits with my own sensibilities or drive for what I feel I want to share in a medium like that. Uh, there's a lot of compromises that you have to make to put a show up like that. And, uh, you know, in my history of, of working those elements with really great people and really great partners, you know, you just, you find that you really love podcasting a lot (laughs) 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 because uh, your ability within spaces like that, that are more controllable, more ownable, uh, less Mm. averse to risk, you know, you're sort of less challenged by those factors that you're talking about. It's not about like sort of authenticity or integrity necessarily. It's about like just the perspective and what you're trying to do as like a creator or a voice, a researcher, whatever that is, because it's, it's just different ways to, to touch people. It's different ways to interact with them. I'm a big admirer of a lot of folks like Sapphire mm-hmm. who are on programs that reach out to a completely different audience than necessarily our podcasts do. So I appreciate the people that can do it, that can nail it. And um, I think it's a very important form of communication of these topics. Definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, you bring up like an interesting point of how, you know, you both have podcasts that you get to have creative control over, Mm -hmm. whereas maybe when you're a part of a bigger project out of a bigger studio, it's you're going to have to make a lot of compromises, I guess, or maybe you're not going to express your full beliefs or truth or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I know that both of you, though, really value telling people's stories, helping people tell their stories and Part of the reason I know that you both do this is because you believe that these stories are important and that the people that are having these experiences, whatever they are, whether they are truly paranormal or whether they're a mental experience, which I don't know if you can even differentiate those. But (laughs) so what's the biggest difference that you experience when you have that creative control over these types of paranormal stories that are being told? Um, Well, for me, I mean, just the fact that in podcasts and YouTube, there's no gatekeeper. I mean, you've already said this, but when there's you're working on a show, there's a lot of other layers of approval that need to happen. And again, it can can get a little frustrating, but then you just have to get a little bit more creative about how you want to um, (laughs) tell your story. But yeah, I mean, for me, I don't think I could ever abandon the podcast if I were to somehow like just switch mediums because I I like having that like I feel like the podcast at least I can remain true to myself and help 
other people tell their story in an honest way without having to change anything or sensationalize anything. Mm -hmm. And like just so that exists and then everything else, you know, I'm still like trying to play the game so that I mean, Jim, like you said, it's hard to get something off the ground that feels so truly you, especially when there are so many hoops that you have to go through. But unfortunately, it's like you got to just kind of jump through a couple of hoops and then be like, OK, just kidding. This is actually what I wanted to do yeah. <laughs> for sure. More after this. If you're like me, you've been shopping in the boys section for too long. And let's just say there is a limit to the quality you will find there. But just imagine upgrading your wardrobe with actual luxury essentials at unbeatable prices, like 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I ordered my partner an oversized cable cardigan, and I got a Milano-stitched oversized shirt jacket. But then they were so cute and honestly nicer than anything I own, so now we are swapping them whenever I say so. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com hysteria for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns that's q u i n c e dot com slash hysteria to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash hysteria the rumors are true i do enjoy a feel-good meal i can slip into the microwave and watch it spin especially when that meal is personalized and delivered right to my door with factor there are a whopping 35 different pre-prepared chef-crafted and dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals of all kinds with the welcome addition of over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons we're talking two-minute restaurant quality meals as well as smoothies and snacks and so much more to enjoy at home or on the go. Baby, we've done the math. Factor's fast, upscale, ready-to-eat meals are less expensive than takeout and a whole lot faster when you are hungry right now. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule your deliveries anytime. So head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off. And now back to the show. You tell on your show very different stories than are usually told. I think that you find people that wouldn't necessarily be the types of people who would go on these shows. Do you think mm. that do you find that to be true? Like it's a kind of a different type of person who's telling their story. I mean, I I pride myself in creating a space that people feel safe enough to share their stories. I get a lot of emails from people who say I usually don't email shows and I usually don't talk about this publicly, but I feel like you would bring integrity to the story and keep it honest. So that's sort of the vibe <laughs> that I, I'm yeah. going for. Um, and I think that's really important. And I think with a TV show, 
I mean, I know this for a fact, like producers will just edit it to work for TV. You know, yeah. you need certain beats to hit. Um, it's not necessarily not true. It's just they're trying to make it good for a viewer. What about you, Jim? I know that though you aren't part of a TV show, you do have a similar experience of speaking with people who I think also wouldn't necessarily be a part of these ghost shows. Like, I feel like you also find very different types of people. What Sapphire is saying resonates with me completely. It's probably why we're all friends, right? Like, (laughs) uh, it's important for us that people can feel like they trust us and that they do trust us and that, that we respect their stories and experiences, right? I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, a lot of people are tuning in to all three of our shows because ugh, it might make them feel less alone mm-hmm. in very strange times and very strange circumstances. And I hold that personally with a lot of responsibility to honor that. And I think that attracts maybe individuals who would in other circumstances rather not share their story publicly. Mm-hmm. I've had folks, you know, request to be anonymous and stayed that way all throughout the process. And then afterwards, I'm able to share with them how many people connected over their story and how many people thanked them for sharing their story and being brave mm-hmm. enough to, to be public about things. And it, it gives that person like a great amount of... Um, validation, I think, in what their experience of it, their quality of feelings around these things that happen. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah, we're just really lucky to share a lot of people's story for the first time, like stuff that, hey, listen, I never tell anybody this, but I feel like I can trust you to tell you this. And, you know, everybody likes that experience. When somebody wants to tell you a secret that they don't want to tell anybody else. Yeah, that's incredible you feel so validated as someone that people can trust oh yeah and that's like a really interesting thing too is like someone coming to you and asking to be anonymous because there's something about that that lends an air of credibility where it's like okay you're not getting on tv Mm -hmm. you're not getting money out of this you know you really just you find this to be so important to yourself and important potentially to understanding the world and what the unseen that you are willing to do this without getting anything in return. But that leads me to the question, and maybe you both don't know this, but maybe you do. I'm very curious about how the people who appear on these shows telling their stories or the groups of people, how are they sourced? Is there like something Mm. that people put out and ask for paranormal stories or are there people kind of scouring the internet looking for people who are already talking about their stories? I'm just, I've always wondered about how those people are actually reached by these networks. Well, I know that for Paranormal Night Shift, they did a call like on Craigslist or all websites like that oh. where they were like, if you have a story, just e- email it and then we'll fly you into Canada. Actually, what was kind of cool for that, though, is that I had received an email from a previous show that I did of someone whose story would fit. And then they flew her out to Canada to like be in the show. So that made me really happy knowing that like that story at least is, (laughs) I think, uh, real. Oh, very cool. (laughs) I mean, I'm like thinking of 
a show like I can't remember what which one it was, but a ghost show that my partner Miranda and I were watching, you know, every time I find a new ghost show in which people are telling their stories and there are fantastic uh, in quotes reenactments. <laughs> um, that's really our our jam. And, and I it was like a few months ago we were watching one and the story was like oh, you just watched the movie It. And you're like, <laughs> and then when I was a child, a clown crashed its car and it's been following me forever. And you're like, oh my God. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I don't know. I feel pretty uh, confident when I'm watching one of those shows where I'm like, you're bullshitting. You <laughs> just wanted to be on this show versus, mm-hmm. oh, you had something happen and you are truly disturbed or you are truly affected by this story. So I, mm-hmm. I just uh, I don't know exactly what my question is. Right. Well, like, I think what you're revealing is like, that's actually that's kind of like a hot topic in paranormal television creation Mm -hmm. and that the sourcing of stories is uh sometimes highly debatable in terms of where source (laughs) material actually originates from and you know being someone myself that in the early days of doing euphemet and this was 10 years ago or more i would be hit up all the time by production companies that wanted involvement And what they really wanted were just all of your contacts and stories and then Mm -hmm. nothing else to do with you. Ah. So the amount of shows that you can go on Discovery Plus right now and, oh, yeah, I talk with them. I talk with them. I talk with them as a young cub, you know, paranormal enthusiast (laughs) and see like the contacts and the stories and stuff that I gave them just used with zero credit. Wow. Like that shit still happens. And it's incredibly immoral. It's incredibly predatory. And Mm -hmm. it's one of the things that kind of I've been battling against since being, you know, more involved in this field and more senior in this field for when investigators or producers or content creators ask my opinion on whether they should just give a production company or a producer all of their ideas for nothing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. how a lot of that happens. <laughs> okay. All right. Jim, I, we've talked about this before, like without naming names, but um, I think that's what makes it extra. Oh, what's, I guess I say frustrating a lot. I've noticed I was trying to pick a different word, hey, well, um, but it is <laughs> it's frustrating. Yeah. Right. What makes it extra frustrating <laughs> is like what we talked about before, how we are very, very careful and thoughtful about the stories we share and the people who come to us, like making sure that they feel safe. And it is kind of just a slap in the face when these companies contact you and are like, hey, can you like connect us with these people? Like they use our podcasts as sources for their own show. And there's nothing technically illegal because like I don't own these people's stories, but it definitely feels icky when like (laughs) bigger companies that have more resources and more money use other smaller independent shows to basically do the work for them. You know, like, I don't know. That's kind of icky to me. Absolutely. And also these people who've like placed their trust in you as well and like handing them over to, uh, (laughs) I don't know, people I imagine won't handle them (laughs) with the same level of care and respect. Would that be right? Yeah. But then they also have the right to, you know, say no to these 
people that are approaching. But it's just the the fact that they're even doing that just feels really gross. It's like you like you're you don't really get what this is, you know, like this isn't just someone's story that you're just going to put onto your show. Like it's more than that. Like we've built communities around this. And yeah, it's just it's just really obvious that like they just don't get it. Well said. Oh, totally. If you could both see some big changes in the paranormal industrial complex, in, you know, (laughs) paranormal entertainment, if you had control, if you were some sort of godlike figure, how would you both like (laughs) to change kind of what we generally see as popular? Ooh. Wow. That's like if you can have three wishes type of question. (laughs) And you can't wish for more wishes. No, damn it. (laughs) Nice try. (laughs) Can one of us wish for other wishes for the other one? Ooh. Loophole. I like that loophole. Yes. (laughs) You know, Chelsea, this is a like super interesting question. And I think it gets down to like intention, right? And there's a lot of things that I think has potential on film and television and we see it sometimes but i I would like for the the material just to be treated more seriously and also Mm -hmm. more creatively like there's a space where this stuff it just gets so much weirder than what we see and not all like demons and dark either Mm -hmm. we know that there's a certain quotient of that type of energy that exists right i think like sapphire's show is a good example of like some of the scary parts of these phenomena. There's also just like a lot of weird fun stuff about the phenomenon. Mm -hmm. There's a playfulness. There's a mystery. There's a lot of history, right? This stuff affects us as not just individuals, but as societies. It influences culture, music, and art. There's so much more to the phenomenon. I feel like we're like in that stage of like cooking shows when they only thought that they could do like a cooking demonstration. That was the only TV you could have. It's like we're there with paranormal content and they don't understand. There's like, there's all these other things you can do with it, you know? So that that's what my hope is, is that there's an injection of creativity. There's risk taking. There's authentic stories told and with integrity. And the mold is maybe broken a little bit because it, it mm-hmm. has become very formulaic. Right. right. I think that's like pretty, you know, and, and I love that point that you bring up because, of course, I think of when you and I were doing Euphemet stuff and we met the Bigfoot hunter and how connected he was to his story of what Bigfoot was as a paranormal being and how deep and like in his heart and soul that was. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily a scary story it wasn't like these shows you see with the intense music and the reenactments where there's something chasing you it was like it mattered to him emotionally more than it had actually like frightened him Mm. yeah Jim, I agreed with like everything that you mentioned (laughs) um so double that um Oh, shoot. What was the question? Oh, what would I change if I was God? <laughs> Got it. <laughs> um, I like that. That's going to happen with Sapphire. She's going to get the ability granted to her. Like, Sapphire, <laughs> you're God. I hope. And then she's going to think about something else and then be like, oh, shit, I forgot I'm God. <laughs> so, okay. 
Paranormal TV. First of all, I want to make a disclaimer. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm ungrateful for all the opportunities I have. I think it's fair to make like criticisms about the industry, but I do. I have truly enjoyed all of the shows that I've been on. What I do find a little bit frustrating, my favorite word, um, (laughs) I feel like paranormal TV as it exists, it definitely has a place. Otherwise, it wouldn't. Like, it's definitely entertaining and fun and, you know, it's like good hotel room <laughs> entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it has its place for sure. Otherwise, it wouldn't be so popular. But I just think that there needs to be more options because now what's happening, something that I'm observing, is that people see these shows and they use exclusively these shows to form their opinions about the spirit world, about the paranormal. And that scares me because it only tells like a small, small sliver of what magic and spirituality truly is. And, you know, when you have a very homogenous looking slate of investigators, you're only getting a very, very small perspective because the thing about ghost hunting and paranormal investigating Depending on the investigator, you're going to get different stuff. If you're going into a place that's filled with spirits who, I mean, I'll just be real. Like if they're indigenous spirits who don't want to talk to white people, they're not going to do anything or they're going to do something really, really harmful because they want you to like get the fuck out. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) So it varies. And then sometimes you might get evidence where you can't speak the language that is coming up on the EVP. You know, so it's like another reason why we need more diversity and different types of people investigating different types of places and stories being told, because like I feel like we've gotten to a point where all of these shows are just visiting the same places. So, yeah, if I could change something, I just I want more different types of investigators doing stuff that other people haven't done. I also want to see just more like occultism and magic used in it. Cause like when you work with magic and energies, like it's a very different experience than just going into a place and receiving and experiencing things. It's very, very different. And I don't know. I just, I I want more people to see that side because that's like the real shit, in my opinion. Oh, <laughs> yes. So well said. You're so right, because I feel like the formula not only is repetitive in its form, but it's like, all right, let's get the fucking priest in here now. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like the very end is like oftentimes like, OK, we've got to cleanse this house with the priest. We've got to have an exorcism and maybe mm-hmm. you'll get a psychic. Maybe you'll get a pretty kind of painfully cliche Native American who will come in like at most at the end to kind of cleanse it. And it feels, you know, it it never feels good necessarily how it wraps up. And I feel like that's something I'd love is like, maybe we don't need to like banish this poltergeist using a cross and holy water. Like it's a very mm-hmm. strange thing we've fallen into, which of course relates so much to American hysteria and the satanic panic that kind of remains to this day it's like that is threaded through it and you know there I agree that I feel dark energies I've had weird experiences like that but I would also love to see that kind of come through something other than a weird like Catholic Mm Judeo-Christian framework Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, there is a little bit of an echo chamber or a <laughs> lot of bit of an echo chamber within a lot of this content, right? 
I mean, this is something that I've picked up on recently in that you will have folks that their entire drive is to be a paranormal TV celebrity on a Mm, TV show. mm -hmm. Yeah. Not to actually study the phenomenon, not to actually hear listener experiences, not to help with anything, not to read books or study of this shit. It's just to be on TV. The rest is nothing else. They were inspired by watching Ghost Hunters and that's what they want to be. They want to be a TV star. They want to be a ghost bro. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, listen, I'm not one to judge. Good for them. Good for them. You know, like that's their experience. Uh, They have the right to be motivated by that type of thing, I suppose. But that's just not, these are different things. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And that brings me to the question of like, how do we properly, because they're in a way, right? We are commodifying these stories, right? We're taking these deeply personal experiences that have terrified or uplifted or whatever experience a person has, and we are putting them through the entertainment meat grinder (laughs) until they kind of come out on the other side and, you know, look pretty different than they might have otherwise. You know, I I don't know what kind of liberties are taken during the famous reenactment, right? Where it's like, (laughs) you'll hear someone telling a story, and this is something that Miranda and I noticed so much as like, we hear someone tell the story and then the reenactment takes it way farther than the actual (laughs) story that the person is telling, right? It'll be like, and then I heard a noise and the door slammed, but then it's like something way more dramatic in the the retelling. That was a bad example. But, you know, there's just, it, it doesn't necessarily seem like the story being told is the one that is presented through these reenactments. And I don't know if anybody has any insight or knows anything about the reenactment process, but I am so interested in how they're cast, how they're made, who directs them, what is going on with these reenactments, because they are so absolutely absurd a lot of the time. Not always, of course. They can be tastefully done, but either if you have any insight about them or if you have any opinion about what you see when you see this type of reenactment happening on these shows. Well, I don't know anything about the process. I imagine that it's just done by the same production company. I'm Mm -hmm. trying to remember what they did for Ghost Town. I will say, though, I mean, however you feel about the reenactment happening, I mean, it really adds so much. Like when when someone's telling a story and you add like any type of visual to it, I mean, it really elevates it. Like whether or not you (laughs) think it was good, like when you watch it it. without it. Yeah, you kind of need it. (laughs) I don't want it to go away. It's my favorite part. (laughs) But it's just sometimes it baffles me. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, that's the actor you chose for that person? (laughs) Interesting. I mean, I can't imagine there's like a long list of people. I'm actually, yeah, I've always been curious about that too, because they had to find someone who like looks like the person and like looks yeah, like, like the close people. enough. Yeah. Yeah. And so when they do, like when they kind of look like it, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like good <laughs> yeah. for them. I get really like excited. <laughs> and other times I'm like, wow, that person must look and be like either, huh, or like, yeah, I do, you know, like someone who's like way beefier than they are. And like <laughs> right. the other day we were watching one and it was literally twins telling 
telling their story, but it was not twins who were the actors. <laughs> oh the two actors couldn't find any. Each other. Just could not find it. That's any. amazing. I know. I was like, there's got to be a pair of blonde twins out there that are right. in a similar build that will be on this go show. <laughs> but perhaps not. I don't know where that pool is of people who act in these shows. <laughs> they were booked somewhere, I suppose. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. Uh, these are brought up in every TV pitch I'm involved in. Uh, they call them recrees. Mm, recrees. Like recreation. Yeah. They yeah. call them recree. Like, are we going to do a recree? And sometimes they're done by like a separate production company than the non-scripted mm. production company. Sometimes they have a partnership with a production house that either has sound stages or they have like sort of casting ready uh you know what's interesting to me is when you're watching not even just like paranormal shows but shows on history channel there's ones about people who create you know candy bars and stuff like how we built this or i don't even know the names Mm -hmm. but but i've watched those sometimes and it's interesting to see like some of the changes that happen when they change the recree production company and you're like oh wow these are pretty good and then you get to the next season you're like what happens? <laughs> There's like <laughs> such a drop in quality or change. And then that's when you're, you know, kind of alerted to exactly what Sapphire was saying about how much they actually change the presentation of something mm-hmm. and how much you're actually paying attention to those reenactments. I mean, what would like Rescue 911 or Unsolved Mysteries be without, without those reenactments, you know? <laughs> A podcast, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) More after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. And now back to the show. So would you, especially Sapphire, because Jim, you have been on our show. You have shared several Euphemet stories But Sapphire, what is like the wildest story that comes to mind for you when you were working on something like Ghost Town Terror, where you're actually hunting ghosts, so to speak? Have you had things, you know, we see things on the the show, obviously, but I'm curious what for you has been the most remarkable experience? Oh, my goodness. So I'll share stuff that happened off camera. So it's a little little exclusive for you. Um, (laughs) Recreate exclusive. (laughs) 
You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. There was one night, I believe it was season one. We were filming pretty late. I mean, all of our nights went pretty late. But I remember driving down that like long ass road back to the main road. And I just felt really uncomfortable. And then I looked at the rear view mirror and it just like wasn't pointing how it did before. I was like, did someone move this? And so I like moved it back. And I just had this like really uncomfortable feeling in the car. And so I like tried to call my husband to like keep me company. And then mm-hmm. it just like wouldn't connect. And so I was like, oh, OK, let me put like music on um, so that I'm not just driving in silence and it would not connect. Like I've never had an issue with this car and connecting my music before. And so I just had to drive like 30 minutes by myself down like this highway. And I was like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I might have just felt like uneasy with that after that night. I cannot remember what day it was or what investigation we did. Anyways, the next morning when we all show up to set, Tim asks me, he goes, did you feel weird driving back home? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) I was like, I kind of felt like like something was like in the car and he was like I felt that too and then we asked Sarah and she was like what the hell I felt like something was in the car with me too so like we all for whatever reason felt like something came back with us uh, to the hotel that night so that was just like a really weird thing that happened and then there was like some nights where I had just like the wildest dreams there was one night where i woke up and i heard like a gregorian chant in the distance that was really uncomfortable (laughs) chills and that's actually not the first time that's happened to me that's happened before which is weird wow the night that me and tim we we slept over in the jail and then i like had just like terrible sleep we slept in that one because that's what we felt like was probably like the least activity but I still felt fucking weird and then I remember when I got back to my hotel room and I took off all my clothes to take a shower there was like a scratch oh no it was like near my shoulder and I kind of looked at it and I was like "Mm, I don't think that's anything and then I showed Tim the next morning he was like what the fuck why didn't you say anything (laughs) um so weird little things like that I mean that's pretty creepy as hell yeah yeah (laughs) that's intense I mean it, it must after a period of time Um, You know, you being there so consistently, having these long investigations and, you know, even when you're not investigating, being in a place like that with a lot of different personalities and circumstances, I mean, that must be a little bit of a head fuck, right? Yeah, I think the biggest mind fuck of it all is just the fact that there's a reality behind the scenes. There's the reality within the show and like trying to like balance that like in my head being there they say it's something like you shoot 50 hours for one episode you know so it's like there's a lot of footage that doesn't make it into an episode Um, so there's just like a lot of stuff that goes on that people will never see but to a viewer like your reality is what you see on the camera Uh, like for me like knowing that I am playing the character of myself but it isn't like, like I literally just like explode thinking about that. Like that's too weird. But there's all this stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And for whatever reason, they 
Oh my god, I just remembered something. Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't. Oh my god. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I just remembered <laughs> yes, yes, something. Yes, do it, okay, do it, okay. Do it. So, um, oh my gosh, this was like my favorite thing that happened. I can't believe I forgot. Uh, and this uh, this was cut from the show. I don't know why, but again, probably because it wasn't that scary. Um, this is when I was filming season two. I was maybe halfway through, and I was just having a really bad time mentally. I mean, I was like tired. I was homesick. There was a lot of reasons, and so I was walking around the neighborhood in the morning as I usually do. And I remembered that it was my Lola's death anniversary, September 20th. And so on my walk, I sort of just started talking to her. I was like, you know, Lola, if you could send me some type of sign that like, I'm gonna make it, everything's gonna be okay. Um, Mm -hmm. That would be great. And then I just kind of got this image of a red rose in my head. So I was like, okay, so when I see a red rose, I'll know that that's your sign, that everything will be okay. And so I kind of forgot about this. Later that night, we go to the old Montana State Prison, which is a very, very heavy, very haunted, horrifying place. And that was where we were going to do our investigation. And I believe we talk about it in the show. Our goal was to investigate a very specific cell there. It was the cell of this man named Stanley something. And he was known as the cannibal hippie, satanic hippie, something like that. That tracks, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He had like eaten people and he also was like rumored to do like dark magic types of things. So very bad reputation. And we were going to go investigate his cell. And so we were walking down the length of the cells and Tim wanted Sarah to see if she could feel which one was his. So we were walking into each one and Sarah was like, no, not this one, not this one. And then like at the very end of the hall, she walks into that one and immediately starts like heaving. She's like, I can't be in here. And then Tim and Scott step in there and they're like, whoa, I feel like really dizzy. Like everyone was feeling really nauseous. And this is where the show cuts the scene. It makes it look like we just left. But we did like a whole fucking thing in that room. Like I walk in and I feel fine. And part of me goes, okay, maybe it's just me not, you know, picking up on whatever energy is here. Mm -hmm. And they're asking me like, you don't feel like throwing up. It's disgusting in here. And I was like, no, I feel fine. And then I'm looking around the room and then my eyes fall on a drawing of a rose on the fucking wall. (laughs) Oh, my God. And here's the thing. So this place has a bunch of graffiti, right? Like every single cell had a bunch of drawings. And so I'm looking at all of them, did not see a single rose or flower in any of them. It was this particular cell that had a rose on it. And what made it like even weirder, there was like little protruding lockers on the wall. So it was drawn on the locker. And then right above the rose was a wishbone. And I didn't notice it because I was too short. And Tim saw it and he was like, wait, what? And then he like picked it up and it clearly had been there for a long time. Like an actual physical wishbone, not a drawing. Yes, like an an actual wishbone. And he picked it up. It was just like weird because we had just been talking about how this man used bones for like his magic. And so Tim was like, oh, this is really weird. And he kept it. I don't know. He should have kept it. But I never really like knew what that meant. It just felt weird that like the rose was right next to this wishbone of this like man who like used bones for magic. And then like it wasn't until like last year when I was telling one of my friends about it. And he's a curandero, I believe is what he calls himself. And when I told him that story, he was like, 
oh, I feel like the wishbone was also part of the message from your Lola saying that, like, you wished for a sign that you would be, you know, okay. And so she was, like, confirming that, like, yes, this is what you wish for. Because the the rose and the wishbone together. And I was like, oh, I kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's incredible. Didn't make it into the show. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, it made it into this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Man. You know, hearing you talk about that is like, so I, because largely of making American hysteria and having to be in that skeptical mindset a lot and having to try to explain things that haven't otherwise been explained. And, you know, some, some of my own personal experiences that really hurt my paranormal self Mm -hmm. you know or my myself that felt really connected to that I mean I it hurts man like hearing that story I'm like I used to have those kinds of experiences and I used to have this other kind of like something running under my life you Mm -hmm. know like this current that I don't feel connected to anymore and I feel like you guys, I'm ready to like get back <gasps> wow. to it. Oh my I'm like, God. I'm like taking small <laughs> steps to be like, I want to, I want to believe. You know? <laughs> like, I want to be the molder. I want to be the molder a little bit more. I'm gonna keep my scully. Yeah. I'm gonna like scully rising, you know, molder moon. Scully <laughs> rising. Oh, that's a t-shirt somewhere. I, love that. I know, right? <laughs> but it's just hearing stories like that. It just, I want that back in my life, and it's hard to get. It. I don't know how to get it back, but I think just having that intention, right? It's like, yes, that's the first step. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can help you with that because guess what? Like you can have both of those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. You can hold that skepticism. You can be in that frame of reality. And the other part is just like a different entryway. It's just like a different consideration that also does not have to be true. Yeah. But might be mm-hmm. right like so it, it's just it's an unknown unknown right it's like mm-hmm. maybe you don't have the language or the spectrum to be able to like clearly analyze all that data to create sufficient truth in terms of 3d reality but the quality of that feeling the experience you're having the mystery around that like you will be able to find a way where you can have that all scully rising you know, Mulder being present, uh, <laughs> like halfway drunk in a hotel room somewhere, obviously. Of course. You can have both and we can help you get there. I love that. It sounds like the next uh, incarnation of this, the three of us doing this. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and I call out to you, the positive spirits, come and check me out. I'm here. Check I'm me ready. <laughs> Let's get back to it. Okay. I love it. <laughs> This was American Hysteria. In addition to calling for a ceasefire, we encourage you to check out the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund, a humanitarian organization that provides medical relief and aid to conflict victims in Gaza. You can find a link in our show notes. American Hysteria is produced and edited by Miranda Zickler, and our associate producer is Riley Swadelius-Smith. Thanks as always for listening, and I hope you have a great week.